I think the Gen Zers are the generation that's really going to save the world. They're going to save the planet. They really are committed, and they look at the world so differently. In fact, just even the way they communicate, they have new social channels. The big new social platform for Gen Zers is called TikTok. It's a whole different thing, and it's um, it's fun. It's engaging. It really plays into their short attention span. Good afternoon. I'm Matt Rubel, and here we are in New York City on a beautiful fall sunny day, and it is Retails from the Frontline. And today our guest is an amazing, glamorous woman from the media business and fashion and fitness, somebody who has been called one of the most intriguing people in media, and that is Nancy Berger. Nancy currently oversees some of the most exciting names in the industry, uh, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, and Seventeen. So you get a wonderful panorama. But (laughs) Nancy has been doing this for many years and so goes back and uh, has actually been involved with Marie Claire, has been involved with Gourmet, has been involved with Allure in its early days. So, Nancy, you have been involved in the media business for quite some time. And when you started out, it was really the magazine business that you were in. And I think you started out at one of the iconic places, Condé Nast. So tell us what drew you to that business and what it was like to be in the magazine business in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Well, I've always been a magazine junkie. I remember reading fashion magazines as five years old. I was going through magazines and pulling out pages and pasting them up in my room. I was just always enamored by magazines and the life that they created and that I wanted to have. And so my dad was a journalist for NBC News. And I hear he was an on-air anchor like the handsome guy in Ohio. He totally was. And so I was always interested in communications and journalism and media. And my dad said that if I wanted to go into media, I really shouldn't go on to the journalism side because at the time it was a very tough road for women. And he was a, a mentor of a lot of famous women in the industry, but felt I shouldn't do it. That would be too hard for me. And so I took the path of going into media through the business side. So Because business for women in the the 90s was easy, right? No, it's true. You're absolutely right. Um, I remember when I did my first interviews, you know, the first thing I had to do, this is really dating myself, but we had to take a typing test in order to get into a company. And you started as an assistant and worked your way up and hoped that you had mentors along the way, which I did very thankfully who would help propel your career and see your potential and help get you to the next step. And I was very fortunate to have that. I started out actually on the trade side, the business to business side with travel magazines, did a lot of great travel and loved that world. But there was something about a consumer magazine brand. You'd be on the business side of the magazine, but you'd also be kind of helping each issue come out and planning the business. I mean, did you understand the consumer? I mean, did you spend time understanding that, how it had to help you in selling the ads or in kind of coming up with the business idea? What were the things that you focused on? And and I want to kind of bring that to today and what makes it different, if at all? That's such a good question. So really, we always had to understand the consumer, but the The insight we had on the consumer was really through syndicated research, right? It was research that was usually done twice a year, and we would get our report, and it would tell us, 
what our median age was and where they lived and how many cars they owned. And we had general information on them, some some insights, but really not that much. I think most media plans were put together by targeting a demographic more than anything else. And then the magazine actually was the screen to what their lifestyle interests were. So when I worked at Gourmet, which was my first consumer magazine, we knew that you know these were people that loved life. They went out to dinner a lot, and they loved to travel through food and experiences, and they loved to entertain in their home. And so we could paint a picture of who they were and then build the life around that. From a marketing standpoint, it meant... They spent a lot of money on their home because they entertained. They spent a lot of money on their wardrobe because they went out or traveled. And so it was really through that lens, magazines as a conversation with that audience was a self-screener, really. It's interesting because you bring up consumer insights versus syndicated research. Is it different today? I mean, you have taste arbiters, but do they look at the consumer insights that are now more precise? And what is the difference in consumer insights today and how an editor works and works with a publisher? Yeah, well, oh my gosh, so many questions. Well, at Cosmo, I think this is a very good example of the difference. So my editor, Jessica Pels, came from the digital side. We actually worked together at Mary Claire. She moved over to Cosmo a little over a year ago. She's still a millennial. And being on the digital side, you're really in touch with, on a moment-by-moment basis, really, what that audience is responding to. She's very comfortable with data. She's very comfortable with interpreting data and makes content decisions based on that. She knows what the audience wants. And so um, she can test things. She can test new topics, see what they're interested in. So does she put topics out online before she'll put them into the magazine itself? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, the magazine and the, the, the time frame of when a magazine is put together and when digital content is done, it's, you know, it's very of the moment. I mean, we're posting right now, probably since I've been here, we've probably done a couple of posts and we're doing some Snapchat stuff and we've got some articles coming out. One of the interesting things that she does is something called flare and swarm. And so flare and swarm. Yes, yes. She'll pick up on something that is probably of interest to our audience and she'll put a flare up and see what happens. And if she sees the audience congregating around the topic, she knows there's demand and interest. And so she will swarm the topic with additional content because she sees that we have an audience that's really interested and engaged in what that is. Wow. I'll I'll give you an example. It's fascinating. It's a brilliant idea. And you really get live time feedback, which is also amazing that you don't get from the magazine experience necessarily. So as an example, Ted Bundy, first of all, millennials think that serial killers are rock stars, just so that you know. That's a little scary. Yeah. Ted Bundy was somebody that our generation of audience, they didn't know who Ted Bundy was. Ted Bundy happened before their time. But there was a movie coming out starring Zac Efron, and they all know who Zac Efron was. So we said, hmm, let's see if they would be interested in more information about Ted Bundy. So we started to swarm 
the Ted Bundy conversation. And we became the go-to source for anything you wanted to know about Ted Bundy, who he was, who his girlfriend was, who he was married to. We became the source just from understanding that there was a need to know. Cosmo is one of the most amazing media properties in the world. It's the largest young women's brand in the world. Well, media brand. And it was all founded on the basic premise of it's okay for women to talk about sex and yes. other things and, and be, be open and be single, be single and be and an have independent a individual. So, I mean, it's appropriate based on your career path, how you kind of have now come to oversee the business side of well, it. Well, I think that me, my generation was certainly inspired and our eyes were opened by Helen Gurley Brown. She showed us a, a way forward that really didn't exist, that there were not very many role models. Her philosophy on not having to get married right away and building a career and having fun and having sex and being able to talk about sex was really revolutionary in the 60s. And think about sex in the single girl. I mean, she was the ultimate sex in the single girl, right? She was the ultimate Carrie Bradshaw. What's the biggest difference between her audience, you know, when she was editing 25, 30 years ago mm -hmm. and the audience today, do they look at being independent differently? I mean, I think it's very different. First of all, this generation has role models that that generation really didn't have, very few. I think this generation understands that they have choices. In fact, millennials are putting off getting married and having kids and leading a traditional life later than other generations have because they can. So absolutely, they feel comfortable talking about sex. On the other hand, sex education in this country is still very weak. A lot of schools talk about abstinence versus actually having conversations about sex. And so Cosmo today more than ever, which still does inform and educate women on topics that are really important to their lives, that they're really not getting anyplace else. So we still serve that place too. And, and, and so how does Jessica engage her audience in creating these conversations? So the very interesting thing about Cosmo is that Jess and our entire editorial team are all the generation that we write for. And I think that that is very unique because the voice of the brand is very peer-to-peer in, in speaking to our demographic because we understand her. We, you know, we are her. And um, that relatability, I think, is really important. I also think because Cosmo now has so many platforms to connect to our audience. So what are the different platforms that you've got? Every surface that you can find, we try to be there. We were really one of the first brands that really embraced Snapchat, and we're still the number one channel on the Discover platform for Snapchat. Our social media is really strong, and Instagram is, is our largest, but we're on Insta, Insta Story, Facebook, YouTube, and video has become very, very important to this audience. So, so you've evolved from being in the magazine business, just being in the total media business. We're a magazine brand. That's what I would say. So you're a brand that's a magazine brand, which is the core, but ultimately you're an engaging business for young women. I think uh, we started as a magazine, right? So that was our um, brick and mortar, so to speak. But I think for us, some of our audience will just engage with us on social. Some of them will engage with us on Snap and then come to the magazine. So they'll, you know, cross-platform, they'll cross-surf. 
but it's okay. We don't really care. As long as they're engaged with us in some way, then we're happy about that. And that it, increases our audience size. Well, and it's amazing that you're able to do that. And it, it must make the complexity of both the editorial staff and your job incredibly more complex. Well, you're always on. You're yeah. always on. I well, mean, there isn't a time that you're not thinking about. So you've got this one audience because you are the chief revenue officer and oversee three different media properties. Um, yes. But 17, isn't that primarily digital? 17 is fascinating because Gen Z is so different. Isn't that primarily digital? How did you come to yeah. a conclusion on how do you communicate with this even younger customer? Yeah. 17 is fascinating because Gen Z is so different than millennial. Really? What's the biggest difference that you would um, we just out? did. We just had a panel of Gen Zers come to one of our meetings and 14, 15, they're already talking about their careers. They're thinking about their careers. Some of them have careers. Some of them are on some social platform and are influencers and have millions of followers. And you're like, how is that even possible? But it happens. I think the Gen Zers are the, the generation that's really going to save the world. They're going to save the planet. They really are committed and they look at the world so differently. In fact, just even the way they communicate, we were asking them, how do you talk to each other? How do you communicate? Are you doing text messaging? Because we were emailing. Millennials text. They don't even text. They DM. So their platforms are different. They have new social channels. The big new social platform for Gen Zers is called TikTok. It's a whole different thing. And it's um, it's fun. It's engaging. It really plays into their short attention span. And so that must prescribe kind of the way you talk. So at 17, do you speak quicker? I well, the topics are different. So first of all, 17, we really focus on the seven years that you're a teenager, right? So 13 through 19. Those years are the years that pretty much you do all of your firsts, right? You have your first kiss. You have your first date. You go to the prom. You get your driver's license. You go to college. I mean, all of your firsts happen during that period of time. So we're a brand. I mean, a legacy brand. We've been around a long time. But we really want to be there to be a friend to the audience that's growing up, you know, during these very difficult years and being there to help them get through them. Whether it's Cosmo or 17, and we'll talk about women's health in a bit, but mm -hmm. are you able to build relationships with your audience more effectively today mm -hmm. than you were because of the new tools of the digital generation? I think that the communication in the past was very one way, right? So we would talk to our audience. We would get letters from them sometimes, but mostly it was us talking to them and them taking in the information. Today, it's very much a two-way street. I think it makes a much more informed editorial product. It's definitely more relevant to the audience because we know what they're responding to. And I think it's more, it's more interesting. You know, as a marketer, you want to, you know, say, okay, I have this product. What do you think? And get some feedback because then you actually can tweak it a little bit, make it even more relevant to them. And so I think the shift in retail and experiential, that's all happened because we understand we're becoming smarter about the customer and what they want. And so we can adopt our products. To so them. what's the best way you've seen a retailer or a brand yeah. use your media properties to have a dialogue with the consumers that engage with you. We just did a project with Neutrogena 
where we went out and surveyed our audience about what they most cared about when it came to their skin. What do they care about most? What are the concerns and questions? And so we had four trends that came out of that survey, and we created content every quarter that would address those four topics. We knew what their problems were. We knew how we could help solve those problems. We could demonstrate it. We did it across platform. It was kind of first to market because we haven't really created content like that from an advertising standpoint and very, very effective. And they just actually renewed their program. So they were very thrilled with the results. That's great. So they used you to really have a more direct conversation with what was relevant. Yeah. You start at the 13 to 19 year old, so you get them through their teen years. Then after that, they're independent, they're out to work, they're on their own, they're, they're at Cosmo. And then there's women's health that you oversee too. I mean, you see this tremendous panorama of women. What's the biggest difference between what you see in, in women's approach to health and the age groups that you talk to there? Um, are, are they much different or are they the same core things? So women's health is a little bit different in the sense it's not just about a demographic. You know, it's really about a way of life. And that is an interesting topic because right now in terms of relevance, health, fitness, mental health, wellness, taking care of ourselves is really a priority. And we see the relevance of that bubbling up in so many areas. You know, you look at how we are dressing now at work, athleisure, you know, has changed the game. The fascinating thing with me that you just said, which I've seen a huge evolution in, and we'll talk about what I'd call certain aspects of wellness in a second, but it's mental wellness. What have you learned about wellness of the mind oh my gosh. through the dialogues that you're able to have? Because it just seems to be so big and topical and emerging, and you must be a leader in understanding that. We actually created a section in the magazine now every month, the mind section, because it is as important and it's a conversation that has really been not discussed and is very much out there in the public domain. Funnily, we're working on a very exciting day with the 92nd Street Y on October 6th, where we are going to be moderating an entire day about mental wellness. And we have sold out the event. I think there are a thousand consumers that are coming. Wow. We have amazing speakers. Liz Plosser is the editor-in-chief at Women's Health, and she's going to be speaking. And we open up the day with her interviewing our cover star from last month's Women's Health, Juliana Huff, who has an amazing story about survival and finding her true path in life. We also have on our panel Lady Gaga's mother, Cynthia, who runs her charity Born This Way. Um, wow. This is a big conversation. It's an important conversation. More and more brands are actually starting to become very vocal about it. Kate Spade, as an example, you know, certainly somebody that was so admired in the industry, had challenges that nobody knew about in terms of mental health. And I think it opened up a conversation and has been supported by a lot of companies. Are you helping to create a path for people, not just to deal with the crisis moment that happens, but how to create a regimen and how to understand that? And are you seeing that this consumer who really enjoys this is interested in that? You know, I think this is also a benefit of magazines. And this is true with all three of my brands. 
there's a lot of information out there. You know, if you're interested in health, you know, you can Google and come up with lots of information, but where, what you're going to believe, who's going to curate the information that is going to be relevant to you? Who's going to really tap into the right experts? What, you know, what are the sources? All of those things. We do that. We edit. I mean, that's what our editors do. They edit down information and serve it up in a way that's going to be interesting and actionable and something that will give you both sides of the story, maybe, so that you can actually make an informed decision. And that's what we really think about. And so from a magazine standpoint, it's a great way to consume the content, but you could also go to our Instagram or our YouTube channel on women's health and see a great new workout that'll take you 10 minutes and it's really easy and you can do it at home. And all of those things are great tools. Women today have so many choices. Are we a better society and place for women? And do they understand that there is no glass ceiling if they just push, or is there still a glass ceiling? I just came from visiting my son in college. So while I was there, of course, I did a on focus Wisconsin, group. Right? On Wisconsin, right? On Wisconsin, yes, go, go. Badgers. go Badgers. But I sat down with 10 college students, uh, women, who were on campus, and just to talk to them about what's their life like? What do they see? They're very nervous about, and we, we talk a lot about this at Cosmo, adulting. Adulting. Like, what, what is that? I've get never heard out. that. Yes. Like, oh, so, I get to be an adult today? What does it mean? You talk to people in college, they've never had a bank account. They've never had to pick an insurance policy. They've never had to sign a lease. They've never had to buy a car. There's a lot of stuff that they have to think about. These are their first. And so this whole idea of really of being an adult is scary and exciting at the same time. They see their life with so much possibility, but at the same time, they're making a lot of decisions and they want to make sure that they're making the right decisions too. I sat down with them actually to hear about their life and what they care about and some of the projects that we're working on. I wanted their opinion. But they walked away feeling very inspired by talking to me and hearing about what I do every day. And so that gave them another window to say, huh, Maybe that's something I'd be interested in, or maybe it's nothing I'd be interested in, so now I can go in a different direction. So they probably Googled you before meeting you and then after again. They're so, so good. Are they oh, already all linked in? They've, they've oh, all found me all on done. LinkedIn. You're all connected now. We're but let me connected. ask you a question. So what would they not find on Google or LinkedIn <laughs> that we should know about you that would be really interesting? I could tell you a funny story, actually. This is a this is a funny story. Now it's a funny story in retrospect. I became the publisher of Valor. It was my first publisher job in 2001. And that year, we did an article about the girls from Scores. And my editors thought it would be fun for us all to go to Scores. And so our whole team went to Scores. Oh, my God. And the next morning, like 5 in the morning, I get a call from my PR director. And she said, you're going to be in page six. I'm like, what do you mean I'm going to be in page six? He goes, yep. So page six found out that Allure, you know, took the team to scores. I'm like, really? I don't know if this is a good thing. Oh, my God, I was a nervous wreck. So post comes out. Of course, it's not online yet, right? There's no online. The heading is Alluring Bodies. And it basically says that we were all there. And one of the worst people that were there was publisher Nancy Berger. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the end of my career. What am I going to do? I go to work. I get a call from the CEO of my company, come up to his office. 
I'm like, this is it. I mean, I had my chance. I gave it away. What was I thinking? What was I doing? And I go up. I was at Condé Nast then. I go up and I meet with my boss, Steve Florio. And he goes, I saw the post. I said, I know. And he high-fived me. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened in my career. And for years after that, when you Googled me, that was the first thing that came up. I don't think it comes up anymore, but that would be the thing that's out there somewhere, but nobody now knows, but now everybody knows. Well, it sounds like that was an adulting moment for you. It was an adulting moment. We are here talking with one of the icons of the magazine industry who has really just done an amazing job reinventing these platforms into connections with people, 17 cosmopolitan women's health, cosmopolitan being the largest women's media brand in the world. Really just spectacular time having a conversation with you and getting to understand the different journey that people are on in the media business and ways to connect. It's amazing talking to you. We've known each other for a long time. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. And you are just amazing. I'm Matt Rubel. This is Retails from the Frontline, and we're here with the amazing Nancy Berger of Hearst Magazines. Thank you.